Well, good morning, North Ferry. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. Uh, if this is your first time here, my name is Kevin Wilsey, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, we are currently in our in week two of our five week Advent. Uh, series. And so if you weren't here with us this last week, the Advent tradition celebrates the humble first coming or arrival of Jesus Christ. And, and we as a church, we want to help you uh, just be more intentional uh, as we celebrate Advent, as you do that in your homes, as you do that in your personal time, as we do that uh, for this Christmas season. And so we've been praying as a church staff that this Advent season, you would be able to find time to rest and remember the glories of Christ, the glories of Christ, to reflect on and remember the coming of Jesus, even as we are currently eagerly, eagerly and anxiously awaiting his return. Uh, we pray that you are able to reflect and remember uh, the, the promise of God, the coming of Jesus. And so last week, Pastor Tracy encouraged us to remember the promise of the Savior, right? He encouraged us to remember what God's promise of a Savior means for us, means for sinners, means for the whole world. And uh, he showed us that as the Israelites lived in darkness and what seemed like hopelessness, they still had a promise from God for a Savior to come. And so Pastor Tracy, he lit the first candle, which I was supposed to light before service, and uh, you can see it's not lit, but I'm going to light that. He lit the first candle, maybe, not with that one, I'm going to use this one. Calling us to remember the promise of God that a Savior will come, right? That a Savior will come to defeat Satan and to redeem his people from death, from sin, from suffering. And he called our attention to that promise. But this morning, I want to turn our attention from that promise and turn our attention to the promise kept, that God was faithful to keep that promise. And so we light the second candle of Advent, showing that God, he was faithful to keep his promise, that God's word has been fulfilled. He's come the Savior's come just like God said he would. Let me pray, and then we'll get rolling. Father God, I, I pray that during this Christmas season that we would be filled with joy as we remember your faithfulness. Father, may we remember and be drawn to worship you as we look at your promise of a Savior and how you have kept your promise perfectly. You have fulfilled your promise in Jesus. May you give us the grace we need to stand firm on your faithfulness, on your promises. And may we trust your faithfulness and have a confident hope as we expectantly await for your son Jesus to come again. And it's in his precious name I pray. Amen. So 400 years of silence. 400 years since the last words of the prophets of God. 
400 years of Israel, God's people, quoting, singing, praying, crying, encouraging one another with the promise of God that a Savior will come. That one day a Messiah will come to rescue us. And I can imagine them sitting in the the darkness of the world, sin around them, sin within them. And they're clinging to the light of God's promise that a Messiah, a Savior, is coming. One who will set them free, one who will rescue them. And I'm sure in these 400 years, the people of God, they had their moments of doubt, right? Will God hear our cries? Will God ever send a Savior? Is God faithful to his promises? This hope I have, is it on sinking stand or am I actually, can I stand firm on the promises of God? The darkness of the world of sin, it seems to be vast. It seems to be big. It seems to be overcoming. And in these moments, I can see the people of God recalling the promises of God, a lot of what we went over last week. And they recall them to their minds, the 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 promise of God from Isaiah in Isaiah 9-2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. God, where is your light? And the words from the prophet of Micah in Micah 5-2, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. God, where is this ruler? Where is the one who you promised in Genesis 3.15, the one from ancient of days who will come and crush the head of Satan? 400 years of silence since these promises were spoken. 400 years of fear, of doubt, of suffering. 400 years of remembering God's faithfulness in the past and praying that God would remain faithful to his promise. Man, doesn't that sound familiar for us today? As we anxiously await Jesus' second coming, we hear of the day, we read our scripture, and we know that God promises to return. We hear of the day where, where he will come and there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin. The day where we will get to be in the presence of our Savior. And as followers of Christ, we have that promise. But sometimes, if we're honest, sometimes it seems like that day will never come. The darkness of the world surrounds us. We experience a loss of a loved one. We experience a diagnosis of a disease. We see sin ravaging its way through our lives, trying to tear everything apart. 
We see our world and our culture rejecting and ignoring God and his ways and expecting us and wanting us to do the same. We see Satan pouncing at every opportunity he has to distract us from the glories of God. And the holidays, they just seem to bring this darkness, bring this hopelessness to light in our lives, our loneliness and our pain. The day of his return, it just seems distant. And we pray and we cry and we sing, Jesus, return. Jesus, we want to be with you. And we encourage one another that this pain, this pain that we are in, this suffering, that it's not going to last forever. Remember the promise from God. And the Spirit within us encourages us that healing is coming and we cling to the light of the Savior, to the promise that one day he will return a new light will dawn, that there will be a new heaven and new earth and in which righteousness will dwell. And so we sit in that spot. We as God's people, we wait for his return. Just like the Israelites in those 400 years are waiting for this Savior, this Messiah to come. And so for the rest of my time this morning, all I simply want to do for this this for your Advent season, for the Christmas season, is just encourage you. I hope to encourage you that God is faithful to his promises so we can have a confident hope. God is faithful to his promises so we can have a confident hope. So first, let's see how God did just as he said. He is faithful to his promises. If you would go to Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. Luke chapter 1, 31 through 33. So after 400 years, God in his mercy, in his faithfulness, he sends Gabriel the angel to Mary, who was in Nazareth with Joseph. And Gabriel, speaking in order to fulfill God's plan, in order to fulfill God's promise, he says to Mary in verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name, what? Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, which is the house of Israel forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. On a normal day, a day that seemed like every other day, awaiting the promised Savior, awaiting the promised Messiah, wondering when and if this Savior is going to come and rescue us. God, in his grace, blessed Mary with the news and the plan to do just as he said he would do. The promised Savior, who we now know is Jesus, is on his way. The Messiah is coming. He will be the ruler over God's house and his kingdom. His rule is going to be everlasting. It'll last forever. I love how John 1.9 puts it. It says, the true light, Jesus, the true light, which gives light to everyone, 
was coming into the world. And 10 months later, God kept his promise. Turn, to, turn over one chapter to Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. Verse 1, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration from Quirinius, sorry, was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. So over 400 years of eagerly waiting for their Savior, and the night has come where Mary and Joseph, they travel back to Joseph's hometown in Bethlehem, and guess what? The Savior is born. The Messiah is here. God's promise is kept. The birth of Jesus is finally here. All the prophecies that we talked about last week, all the prophecies that are in the Old Testament telling of this Savior It's fulfilled right here in this passage. The prophecies of the one who will come of the lineage of David, the one from the tribe of Judah, he will be the light in the darkness, the light in the world, the ancient of days, the everlasting ruler, the serpent crusher, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. His name will be Emmanuel, God with us. A son is given, a child is born. Jesus is here. Praise the Lord. He kept his word. He's kept his promise. God's word is fulfilled. Right here in these seven verses, God fulfills his promise that he was talking about all along in the Old Testament. See, God, he shows that he is faithful. He kept his word. And so we're encouraged that God is faithful, that he will keep his promise. But I believe these verses, in these seven verses, we also see that we can have a confident hope. God shows us that we can have a confident hope in his faithfulness. Well, what do I mean by confident hope? Well, let's dive a little deeper into these verses. Look at verses one through five with me again. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So right here in these five verses, I want you to see that our God is a sovereign God. I want you to see the sovereignty of God, that we can have a confident hope in God's faithfulness because he is sovereign. An aspect of of God's sovereignty is that he is all-powerful. 
power. He has all power and all authority over every ruler, over every authority, over every government. That he has all power and authority over all things because all things were created through and for him. Right? As Paul in Colossians, Colossians says. And right here in this text, we get a beautiful picture of God's sovereignty. You see, as I mentioned earlier, the prophet Micah, in Micah 5.2, he prophesied that the promised Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, would come from what town? Huh? Bethlehem. Would come from Bethlehem. Yeah. Yeah. The city of David. Well, when we read this passage, where do we see Mary and Joseph? They're in Nazareth. Nazareth and Bethlehem are not the same town. Nazareth and Bethlehem are 90 miles apart. So for God's promise to be fulfilled, that meant that Mary and Joseph, they needed to get over to Bethlehem. So what happens? Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, decides to have a decree asking for all the known world, everyone to be registered. But I don't think this was Caesar Augustus's idea, right? God spoke this to the prophet Micah over 400 years before Caesar Augustus even had this thought. You see, God in his sovereignty He controlled the Roman emperor, all so that Joseph and Mary would go and register in Joseph's hometown in the city of David in Bethlehem, all for God's promise to be kept, all for God's promise and plan to be fulfilled. And so the very pregnant Mary walks 90 miles to Nazareth. I know we see that she might be riding on a donkey. I'm not here to debate that. But either way, she made a long journey to Nazareth, 90 miles to fulfill God's promise. Wayne Grudem says God's faithfulness means that God will always do what he has said and fulfill what he has promised. God will always do what he has said and will Fulfill what he has promised. You see, nothing will prevent God from accomplishing his purpose. Nothing. And as we know from last week, as Pastor Tracy shared, that God's purpose, that his promise from the garden, from Genesis 3.15, was for God to restore and redeem, to save his creation from sin, from Satan, from death. And that's the story of the Bible. God's plan to do that. And there is no way that this Roman emperor, that this Caesar Augustus would get in the way of God's plan. Luke 2 records God's fulfilling his promise. It records God's sovereign control. Nothing was going to thwart that plan. And so we can have a confident hope in God's faithfulness because we have a sovereign God. 
But you can also have a confident hope in God's faithfulness because not only is God sovereign, but God is compassionate. Let's look at verses six through seven. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. You see, God, he kept his word. And in God's faithfulness, in the birth of Jesus, we see the compassion of God. In the book of Isaiah, specifically chapter 49, God is compared to a a compassionate mother. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will never forget you. See, God is full of compassion for his children. And he says, earthly moms, they may, they may forget their children. But guess what? I will not forget and I will rescue you. This has been God's plan all along. God has been, always been compassionate towards his people. It is who he is, right? This should remind us, the compassion of God should remind us of Exodus 34 where where God, he describes himself and he comes and he says, I am Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That is who he is. We have a compassionate God who has not forgotten his people. He has seen the need of his people for a savior and he's promised to rescue them. And our God is faithful to his promises. And right here in Luke 2, we get full display of the compassion of God. Jesus is born. God enters into our world, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, being born where animals stay, being born in the dirtiest and lowest of places. And he's wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a feeding trough. God in his compassion, he enters humanity, but he enters humanity in the lowest position. Why? Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Jesus, who though was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. See, God in his compassion for his people, according to his plan, he entered the world, emptying himself to become a what? a servant, right? The son of God, he did not come to be served, but to serve. God took on the lowest form, a servant. And Jesus, in his birth, he shows us the compassion of God. And as Jesus continues to do life and ministry, Jesus continues to exemplify the compassion of our father. From his birth to his death, 
Jesus shows us the compassion of God by serving us. Verse 8 of Philippians 2 says, In being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, the compassion of God in his faithfulness gave us Jesus, the compassion of God. Jesus lived and walked a perfect life, one that we could not. Jesus obeyed the Father perfectly, going to the cross. Even though he was, in, he was God, he entered into our pain and our suffering, and he took it and he put it on the cross with him. So we have a God who is compassionate towards his people, who is faithful to his word, because that is who God is. And he gave us Jesus, his one and only son, to save us. And Jesus served us with the compassion of God. And he served us by being obedient to the Father. He came, he lived his life, he experienced everything that we have experienced, every temptation and sin, but he did it without sin. And he went to the cross, like Isaiah 53 says, he was despised and rejected, that he was crushed to fulfill the plan of God to justify his people by his death. But Jesus didn't stay dead on the cross. He didn't stay dead in the grave. He was resurrected and brought to life again, seated at the right hand of the Father, saying, I've defeated death once and for all. And because of Jesus, because of faith in Jesus, we now can have life. We can, this broken relationship that was, uh, that was between us and God is no longer broken. But we can have life and have it eternally, eternally and abundantly if we put our faith in Jesus. You see, God in his compassion, he knew our need for a savior and he acted. He cared for us. And so that should move our hearts, that should move everything within us to worship Yahweh, the Lord who is compassionate and gracious, who is merciful, who is slow to anger, who is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Praise the Lord. We can have confident hope in God's faithfulness because God is compassionate. God has not forgotten us, and he will not forget us. So, as we cry, as we pray, as we sing, as we seek to encourage one another with God's promises while we await his return, and we have that promise that he will return, we'll talk about it in a few weeks, but as we go through the darkness and the brokenness of this world, may we do this with a confident hope. This Christmas season, have a confident hope because we have a God who is faithful. We have a God who keeps his promises. And we see in Christ that God didn't, did just as he said he would. Be confident because we have a sovereign God that nothing can or will prevent him from accomplishing his purpose, from accomplishing his promises. And we have a compassionate God, 
a God who sees us and who has been with us, who is near to us. A God who cares about us and has not forgotten us. This Christmas, remember his promises and praise him for his faithfulness. But also have a confident hope because he will do what he said he will do. And one day he will return for his people. He will return for his people no matter what this world looks like. No matter who is in control of this world. He will rescue us to a new home where righteousness dwells, fulfilling his word. He is faithful to accomplish it. Let's pray. All-powerful, compassionate, and faithful God. We praise you for your mercy and your grace this morning. We praise you because you are faithful to your word. Father, I pray that that will encourage us this morning. As we await your son's return, Father, may we have a confident hope because of your faithfulness. You are in control and your plan to restore all creation back to yourself, it will not be thwarted. Father, you have sent Jesus because you love us, because you care for us. And so may we trust in what Jesus has done for us on the cross and may we leave here today praising your name with a confident hope as we await your return to make all things new. And all God's people in here say,